0: You'll take your Bibles tonight and turn to Proverbs chapter number one. Proverbs chapter number one is where we're going to be. And uh, how do you all like the new chairs? Amen. Amen. Don't they look good? And uh, we're excited about that. And then. Uh I don't know if you've had a chance to peep your head in the nursery. We've kind of got it sectioned off a little bit, but uh, we've got a wall that's been ripped out and doing some good things in there. So we're looking forward to uh, getting all that back together. And I think it's gonna look really sharp. I'm excited about the vision that our preacher has had to redo the auditorium here and it looks good. And his vision for the nursery and just trying to reach young families best we can and uh, just make it as appealing to them as possible. We know that, uh, you know, like preacher has said, we know that that's just cosmetic stuff, but yet, you know, I, I think sometimes it just kind of helps to set the spirit, and, and then if we can set a good spirit, have the Holy Spirit come down and work in lives. That's what we want, and so I hope you'll pray to that end. Be in prayer about the services on Sunday. Don't forget, like Brother Zach said, we've got our services at 8:30, 10 o'clock, and then prayer room, and then also our main main evening service at 5:30. So I hope you'll be in prayer about that. Don't forget about the the offering that a preacher announced on Sunday for Miss Betty Melvin. We're going to be taking up an offering on Sunday, and so be in prayer about that. I was- was talking with a young person a few days ago, and they were t- talking, out of the blue, they started talking about how they were selling some uh, animals, and they were hoping to make some money. And I said, what do you want to make some money for? And uh, just a sweet little voice, I said, I want to give to that lady in church next Sunday. And so I hope that we'll all come with that spirit, just wanting to help out a fellow, a fellow sister in Christ, and Miss Betty and Brother Don, they have been members here years and years, now Brother Don's passed, but Miss Betty, still a vital part here of the Church, and I want to say, Brother Don's brother Don was in the bus ministry for a little over 50 years. I think it's right around 51 years here at uh, Woodland. There's no telling how many people he's had a part in bringing to church. I know he would pack that bus out years and years ago, and then he was got to the point where he couldn't do the bus, but then he moved to a van and would pack that sucker out. And so, we're just thankful for that. He loves this church, loves our pastor. And so be in prayer for Miss Betty, and I hope you'll bring bring some maybe monetary funds to help them out on Sunday, or help her out on Sundays. Well, it's good to be in church tonight, and uh, if you turn to Proverbs chapter number 1, Proverbs chapter number one. If you have an old Schofield, it's page number six seventy two. Six seventy two. You've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So Job, Psalms, and then Proverbs. So basically, if you open the middle of your Bible, go to go one book to your right, and you'll get to the book of Proverbs. And so what good services we had on Sunday. And a good message on Sunday about Calvary, and then Sunday night, another good message. And I think the Lord met with us both services, and it was good to be here in the house of the Lord. Well, if you recall, I'm going to go back several, several weeks ago, we've kind of been, uh, when, I've, when I've been preaching on Wednesday night, we've kind of gone through the introductory parts to the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to re- try to run through that fairly quick, and then we'll get to Proverbs 1 and verses number 1 through 7 here in a minute. We're going to kind of just summarize chapter 1 and focus in on these seven verses, and then give you a summary of the rest of the chapter. But Proverbs is a wonderful, wonderful book. It's an instructional book. The writer of the book of Proverbs, if you recall is the, uh, the writer S- Solomon. And what uh, Solomon is writing to his son, if you'll remember his son, his name is Rehoboam. And uh, Rehoboam uh, was not quite like his dad. He was a little different. But Solomon was a king, prosperous king. The Bible tells us that he was the wisest man that ever lived. He's writing to his son Rehoboam. And here's what was said about Rehoboam at the end of his life. It was said that uh, he did evil all the days he did not he, he turned away from the wisdom of the older generation, and the opposite of his father. We're not told anywhere in Scripture where Solomon asked for wisdom. I mean, we're not Solomon, but where Rehoboam. Asked for wisdom. If you'll recall, in the in the Bible, we're told where Solomon was given uh, a wish and said, "You know, if you can choose anything that you want, what would you choose?" And Solomon said, "If I could just get wisdom." And I hope that's our prayer that we seek wisdom. So the book of Proverbs is a father giving instructions to his son. What a wonderful father that he took time to instruct his son. The father is telling his son how to live. You know, there's really a God-given desire within all of us to be a good mother or to be a good father. And we see the book of Proverbs is definitely filled with that. We broke the word Proverbs up into two words. The first uh, part of that word is pro, meaning four, And then verb or verba is the word word. So it's four words. And so the father is trying to give his son some instruction. He's trying to give him some key words to live by. And if you'll recall weeks and weeks ago, not that I expect you to remember, I'm not even sure I would remember, but I have my notes. So we'll go over that. But it talks about, we talked about the seven key words found through the book of Proverbs. We looked at the word walk and how Solomon says, hey, real, I want you to watch your walk. Watch where you go. Watch what you do. Watch what you hang who you hang around. Then we got to the second word, wisdom. And Solomon's trying to impart wisdom. And we see 196 different times the word wisdom or wise is mentioned. And so that's definitely an emphasis. So we see our walk, our wisdom. And then our words. He's, he's encouraging Rehoboam to be uh, kind, be, be, be uh, thoughtful with your words. 163 different times he uses the word mouth, word, or words, lip, or lips, tongue, or speech. And he's trying to emphasize that. The fourth word he, he, see, we, he tries to mention to Rehoboam is this this subject of women. And we see in the Bible, Proverbs 31, there's a virtuous woman. Chapters 5 through 7, we see how there's a strange woman. Solomon's trying to encourage his son. Hey, son, I want you to to have a virtuous woman and to to, to seek that. Don't seek the strange woman. Then he he begins to talk about wine throughout the book of Proverbs. He's warning his son about that. He says, hey, don't even look upon it. And so we, we see that. Then we see the word wealth. And he's telling Rehoboam, hey, be careful about money issues. You know, we think of the verse in the New Testament that they that will be rich follow into a snare. That means those folks that have this strong desire just to earn and to get and to amass more and more, they say the Bible says that they'll fall into a snare. There's a trap there. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to succeed and do well in our business, but if our business consumes our life and everything revolves around the dollar bill, we might need to to reevaluate our life. And then the last word we looked at was work. And so that was kind of the first week. The next week we looked at basically one thought. We looked at this thought of inconsistency does not bring about consistency. And we talked about the prohibitions against a king. So in the book of first kings God told the king said you can't multiply horses and you can't get those horses out of Egypt. And what do we find Solomon did? He got 1,200 horses. And where did he get them from? He got them straight out of Egypt. Exactly what the Bible says not to do. So there was a prohibition against him. He went against it. Then there was a prohibition against you can't multiply wives. What did Solomon do? He goes out and he gets 700 wives and 300 porcupines, I mean concubines. He went out and got, so obviously he's breaking that prohibition. So he's two for two. He's broken two prohibitions. Number three, the Bible says that he couldn't, he couldn't, you can't, as a king, you can't greatly multiply to yourself silver and gold. The Bible tells us that Solomon was the richest man that lived in that time. So we, now he's three for three. He's violated prohibition one, two. And three. And then he goes on throughout the book of Proverbs and is basically trying to instill knowledge and wisdom to his son. And so the, the thought that we brought out was what Solomon said writing the book of Proverbs and what Solomon did, they didn't match up. And so inconsistency doesn't bring about consistency. You, 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 you might ask yourself, well, how could a boy be such a rebel? He was raised with a father that invested instruction and teaching into his life. He gave him 31 chapters, the book of Proverbs, and tried to just instill wisdom into his son. And yet Rehoboam rebelled. He went haywire. You know, he told his his son how to avoid strange women, but he didn't do it. He told his son how to be careful about riches, but Rehoboam didn't do it. You can't, I can't explain it how sometimes maybe a family might have four, five, six kids, three kids, maybe whatever the situation is, and you might have one child that just goes absolutely haywire, and the other two, they're raised in the same exact home, saw the same mom, saw the same dad, had the same mom that loved the Lord, had the same dad that tried to do right and stay faithful to church. One goes haywire. We can't explain that, but we do see where if inconsistency doesn't bring about consistency. I do believe it is near impossible to raise a consistent child if all that child sees is inconsistency in the parent. If I were as a parent to try to talk to my son and my daughter and say, Mason, you need to be faithful to church. You need to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then I lay out you know, I'll just lay out this Wednesday night or this Sunday night and just not be there. Or maybe summer, I just won't be there as often. What are you communicating? You're communicating that church really isn't that important. That will not produce consistency. And then we said the statement, your children are watching more of you than they are listening to you. And that is true. They are they are watching us. It's not monkeys, monkey uh, a monkey, what is it, monk, do as I do, not... Yeah, you say do as I say, not do as I do. You know, parent, parents, we gotta realize. I've got to realize they're watching far more. We might say, oh boy, you need to, you need to love your spouse when you get older. And then there we go. We're harsh with our wife and we speak rough towards them. Or maybe, maybe we're a, we're a wife and we say, boy, uh, you're speaking to your daughter and you say, boy, you need to. When you get older, you need to to to, to love your husband and to do special things for him. And yet, boy, you just have an attitude all the time with your husband, and there's always button the heads. They're seeing more than the, that they're listening to. So the father knew how to write it, but he did not live what he wrote. And then we moved on to the simple versus prudent, and I'm going to move right into our message for tonight. So we talked about simple versus prudent. We won't go into all that tonight, but I want to bring your attention to Proverbs chapter 1 tonight. Proverbs chapter number 1, we're going to look at this subject of the path that leads to wisdom, the path that leads to wisdom. So maybe you're here tonight and you say, Lord, I want to have wisdom. You know, in the book of James, it says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and abradeth not. God wants to give us wisdom, but are we asking him for it? Do we seek it? There's a path to wisdom, it just doesn't all of a sudden happen. But we're going to look at the path, the basic three step process, and I want to give you three thoughts about wisdom tonight, and then we'll go to the house. We'll probably be done here right around 8 o'clock or so. Pray for the kids as they're over, they're over in master clubs tonight. But let's, let's read verses number one through seven tonight. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter one, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom and wisdom justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, then it says in verse number seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, But fools despise wisdom... And instruction. Let's go, Lord, in prayer and ask that he might help me tonight as I try to convey these truths from the Word of God. Dear Lord, I want to just stop and pause, Lord, and just admit, Lord, and you know it already, that I feel so unworthy to preach the Word of God, Lord, and especially behind this pulpit, behind our pastor, Lord. We have such a wonderful preacher, wonderful pastor, Lord. I pray that you'd, uh, But, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to just set all that aside and realize that I'm preaching the Holy Word of God, the, the book, the Bible, God. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord. Give me clarity of thought is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in the book of Proverbs, there is a progression to wisdom. Wisdom doesn't just happen. We see in verse number two, the Bible says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Then in verse number three, it says, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. So number one, I'd like to say that there's a step one to getting to wisdom. There's a path that you must take. That first step is instruction. What's instruction? Instruction is simply how I get knowledge and wisdom into me. So if we want to be over here where wisdom is, we're going to have to start over here at step one. We're going to have to get instruction. How do we get instruction? We get instruction from the Word of God. We get instruction through the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We get instruction through being faithful to church. We get instruction to, by, by maybe being around a godly pastor or being around maybe a godly youth director or being a, around godly, a godly Sunday school teacher, godly friends. We get instruction numerous ways, but that's how it all begins. It has to start here with instruction. You know, what you say, what's instruction? Instruction is simply how I get knowledge and wisdom into me. You know, there's a, there's a source coming into my life to gain instruction. It shows me what is right. We can't exercise wisdom, and we'll get to a definition of wisdom here in a minute, but we can't exercise wisdom if we first don't have instruction in our life, if we don't know what is right. And how many times do we see people in our society today, they've got no idea what right is. I might say more about it here in a few minutes, but what happened this last summer with the whole political scene and people just feeling like, well, I believe there's inequality, I believe there's racism, and what do they do? They decide to just go down, burn somebody's business down that they worked years and years to do. There's no instruction. They don't know what is right. Their schools, maybe their college has corrupted them, and they think, well, I can just do that in the name of equality or the name of racism and all this. There's no, there's no instruction. There's no knowing what is right. You know, an instruction doesn't mean that you're doing it. It just means that I know what is right. I know how to do it. God's word instructs us. God's spirit instructs us. A godly counselor, counselor can instruct us preaching instructs us. What is preaching? Preaching is basically just teaching set on fire. You know, when our pastor gets up and preaches, what's he doing? He's trying to teach, but he's trying to preach. He's trying to set that teaching on fire and get us motivated to go out and do more for God that we might please him with our life. Notice the word instruction. In, inside the word instruction is the word struct. It, it has to do with the word structure. Maybe you've built a house before and one of the key things is you get together, you get a grater and they come in with a big grater and they grade off the lot and the next thing they do, what do they do? They bring in that backhoe and they begin to dig kind of trenches around where the footers are gonna be poured. And what does that become? That becomes the foundation of that house. Before that structure ever goes up, the foundation must be laid. Someone comes out and grades off that lot and digs the footers. It's all set up. And before those tilt-up walls are ever put up, or maybe before the metal frame house is ever put up, or the blocks are put up, or any of that, there has to be a solid foundation. That's our instruction. That's our guidance on what is right. We've got to have a good structure. So back to the word uh, uh, instruction. We need to get the structure inside of us. It's not an exterior structure. It's what's coming inside of us. We need to get God's instruction inside of us. We need God's help through his word to instruct to instruct us. Instruction, so now we're at step 1, instruction. Once you know what is right, it leads to the next step. What is the next step? The next step is understanding or knowledge, you can see here in verse 4, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. What is knowledge? Well, if you have instruction, you know what is right. Knowledge then becomes, okay, now I, have, I, have, I know what is right, and now I can decipher a situation. I can take a circumstance and figure out what I'm supposed to do in that situation. So maybe you're, and let's just use an example, maybe you're, you're traveling down the road, maybe you're a salesperson, and you're, you're traveling with your sales manager. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. You stop by company XYZ, and you go to make a sales call. You go in, talk to the potential customer or maybe an existing customer, and you're trying to, you know, you pitch the sale, and you try to make the sale and all that. Five o'clock rolls around, you're done. You're heading home with your boss, and your boss says, hey, let's go stop by such and such restaurant. Maybe it's Chili's or wherever. You, you, they, they've asked you, will you stop by this restaurant? You say, sure, you go in. The, The boss goes up to the hostess. The hostess asks, do you want a table or a booth? And to your amazement, your boss says to the hostess, do you have any room at the bar for us? And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, no, this is going to get sticky. I'm with my boss. Now he's wanting to go to a bar. I don't drink. I know it's wrong. I'm concerned about my testimony. And so then you begin to think, okay, what should I do? So then you're forced. You have the instruction. You know what is right. You have the knowledge, you know what you should do. Now the question becomes is what are you gonna do? Are you gonna stand up and say, hey, look, I've gotta get on home. I, I, I can't hang out here with you. One, I'm concerned about my testimony. Two, I don't wanna be sitting around a bar. I don't want that temptation. And so the knowledge then becomes you have the understanding. You know what to do. You can figure out what to do. That becomes your, your knowledge, your understanding of it. You can't apply what is right if you don't know what it is. Hence, that's the importance of being around the word of God in our life. We've gotta put God's word into our life. Young people, we've gotta put God's word into our life. Middle-aged people, we've gotta put God's word into our life. Older folks, we've gotta put God's word into our life. It's gotta be inside of us where we just dwell on it, think about it. So step two, we get to Get to know understanding. Look at verse number three. It says, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice. Justice is what is right. Judgment is how to perceive what is right. And then equity is having character of what is right. So st- letter, uh, step two is simply understanding. That was 2A. 2B kind of goes along with knowledge. And the Bible says knowledge and discretion in verse number four. What is Discretion. Discretion is simply knowing what to do with yourself in certain situations. Discretion is the ability to understand or recognize what is right in controlling myself. Have you ever been around somebody that you think to yourself, they are not discreet? I can think of numerous times when I was working in the secular world and we'd go to a a meeting of employees and maybe a manager would, would, would present a new idea and all of a sudden somebody spouts up, gives their opinion, and there's like silence in the room. You're like, I can't believe they just said that. What happened? That person did not have discretion. They felt like, boy, I've got an opinion. I'm just gonna go ahead and blast it out here. So discretion is just knowing how to control yourself. So that's step two B. Then we get to step three, which is wisdom. Wisdom is doing what is right. Wisdom is taking that instruction. You've got the knowledge. You know what you're supposed to do. Wisdom is now putting it into action. You put what you know is right into action. How many of us tonight would admit there's sometimes we don't exercise wisdom like we should. As preacher would do, you know, I mean there's times where we don't exercise wisdom like we should. You know, we need to do that. If you're going to walk in wisdom, you will make the right decision based on your instruction and your understanding and putting it into action. You know, we can talk about sports tonight. You take a, uh, maybe an individual, and they may know a lot about sports I mean, they know the X, Y, Z, the X's and the O's, and they know how to do the, the nickel offense in, in football or the nickel defense, shows I don't even know much about football. But maybe they just know something, a lot about it. But then if you were to ask them, go out and play the game, they couldn't do it. You know what you call people like that? A coach. They know a lot about the game. They know how, the X's and O's of it, but they can't play it. So I, I'm afraid that maybe some of us, we know what is right, we know what to do, but then we get to wisdom, and we're not doing it. So that, and I can be guilty of that. We all can be guilty of that, where we don't exercise wisdom. We don't want to be like the coach. And so, we what are we What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about living for God, getting instruction, getting knowledge and understanding, and then living it out in wisdom. And so that's kind of the path. To wisdom, I want to give you three basic points. I won't be long. It's 747. I know what time it is. One, number one, we want to look at the need for wisdom. The need for wisdom. Proverbs 1 and verse number 4, it says, To give subtlety to the symbol, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. So the Bible says to the young man. We know that young people need wisdom. But we also know we can apply the Bible. We know that all of us need wisdom. It's not just for the 15-year-olds. It's not just for the 35-year-olds or the 55-year-olds or the 75-year-olds. We all need wisdom in our life. If you come to the place where you truly know, you you humbly come before God, you say, God, I want to be honest with you. I need wisdom in my life. You know what you've just arrived at? You've arrived at the path to starting to receive it and to grow in wisdom. The first thing is we've got to know the need for it. If you don't realize the need for it, you won't get it. Not because it's not available, but because you don't don't desire it. You don't feel the need for it. You know, why does a person wake up at an ungodly hour, 4 o'clock in the morning, wake up, get dressed, head on down to the gym, lift up these weights, exercise, sweat to death, get sore, do all this. Why? Because they feel the need that, hey, I've got to stay limber. I've got to stay in shape. They truly feel the need for that. I don't feel that need. I look around, I see some of you feel that need. God bless you, but I don't feel that need. I feel the need at about 5.50 to hit the snooze and stay in bed a little bit longer, then get up. I don't have that need. But maybe you do. But you know what? What makes a somebody desire to win souls? What makes somebody have the desire to read their Bible? What makes somebody have the desire to, to pray as they ought to? Why? Because they say, I've got to have it. I have the need for wisdom. I desire it in my life. That's the only difference between the, the person that reads their Bible and the person that doesn't read their Bible. It's How bad do they want it? Do they have that need? So number one, we see the need for wisdom. Then number two, there is the foundation for wisdom. What is the foundation for wisdom? What's the foundation for having understanding? You know, once you are convinced you'll need need it, you'll start looking for where to find it. Where does it all begin? Look down at verse number six, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and their dark sayings. Then the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the, what's the next word? Beginning. Beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know what I'm afraid has happened in today's society? We've lost the fear of God. That's what's happening in our society. Years ago, you, you rewind back 100 years ago, abortion was a very small, minute aspect of life. There was it was very rare for that to ever happen, and now we just pump them out left and right. Why? Because there's no fear of God. We don't really believe. Well, up until, you know, what kills me with these, this abortion issue is the fact that you'll take somebody and maybe there's a murder, and they go out and murder a lady that's expecting and what do they want to do? They want to try it for double murder, but then they see nothing wrong with going ahead and aborting babies left and right. So inconsistent. But what's the, what's the problem in today's society? We, we push God aside. We, we say we don't, we don't really fear God. Hey, how how do you fear God? How much do I fear God? Is it is it on my heart? Is it down deep inside? I referred to what happened this summer. There's no fear of God. How much do we fear God? They just call it peaceful protesting. There's no fear of God. They can just go down and torch another business. You know, back in Bible times, you'd have to pay four times the amount of whatever damages you did. Now there's hey, it's just peaceful protesting. We can do what we want. Society as a whole has thrown God out. They say, you know, things that are in, what's in now? Meditation is in. Yoga's in. Self-help is in. I'm number one is in. It's all about me. If it feels good, do it. The God of sports is in. The God of fun is in. The God of arenas is in. The God of stadiums are in. The God of worldly music is in. Sin is in. There's no fear of God, as a nation, we murder more babies than any other country. And now we're even want to, there's, there's uh, political action that they want to take our tax dollars, send them over to, uh, across country lines and into other countries, other continents, and help people pay for, for abortions. Boy, what does God think about that? Taking our money, send it overseas, and help murder people in another, another part of the world. We have lost our mind. We don't have any fear of God in our life. The Bible says in Proverbs 9 and verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 15 and verse number 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. So begin, the beginning of knowing what is right is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom, doing what is right, is the fear of the Lord. The entire Christian life should be lived in the fear of the Lord. I'm not talking about, you know, walking around just, God's going to get us, God's going to get me. But we should have a holy reverence for God. In every decision we make, do we think, what does God want? What does he want for my life? The moment that we step away from fearing God is the moment we step off the path of wisdom. Until we fear the Lord, we won't be on that path of wisdom. In a nutshell, what is the fear of the Lord? It's basically making God the priority in your life. That's not just a fancy cliche, but when God is the very priority of your life, from your heart all the way on out, it affects our heart. It affects our motivation. What motivates your heart? Is it the fear of the Lord what motivates you or what, what, what stirs your mind? What stirs your thoughts? It does, what, is, what does your mind dwell on? How about your emotions, your attitudes? Is it all centered around God? Do you live on the winning side? What about your will, your decisions that you make? Do, you, do your actions please the Lord? Do my actions please the Lord? Do my thoughts please the Lord? Is he the priority of everything that we do? Proverbs uh, uh, 3 and verse number 6, the Bible says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Hey, I've heard that cliche a long time ago. Make Jesus the center of your life, and the circumference will take care of itself. Hey, if we'll put Christ as the center of our life, everything else is going to take care of itself. I'm not saying you're going to live on a bed of roses, have everything made just just right. You may have troubles, but hey, if we'll just make Christ the center of our life, we'll realize the foundation for wisdom is the fear of God. So we see the need for wisdom, and then we see the foundation for wisdom. And then lastly, in closing, number three, we see the rejection of of wisdom. This is the point where people realize the foundation for spiritual wisdom. They look at it, they say, okay, I I know I'm supposed to get instruction. I know I'm supposed to get knowledge and understanding and exercise discretion, but I'm just, I'm not going to step over here to wisdom. I'm not going to exercise wisdom. What do they do? They reject it. Look at verse number four. It says we, see that we can see the need there to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Verse number seven, we see the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then look at that last part of no, verse number seven. Then it says, what a sad little statement. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Look over down at verse number 22. Really the rest of the chapter is just speaking about a foolish person and what happens when they reject Wisdom. Look at verse number 22. It says, "How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorner's delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge." Then look at verse number 29. For they that there's there's again hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a choice. It's something we have to make every day. It's an every-moment choice. When you're faced with that temptation, do you go back and think, what would God think right here if I did this as opposed to this? What would God think? Boy, that if we would live with that thought, that would transform our life. If we thought, every decision that I make... And I'm not saying we're not going to fall. The Bible says a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But what would it do to our Christian life? What would it do to our Christian service in witnessing or in getting nursery workers or in getting bus workers or getting Sunday school teachers or getting folks to be faithful to the house of God? What would it do if we realize God's watching? Are we living in the fear of God In our lives, we often come to God for deliverance, and then we are faced with the decision, will we make God the priority? You know, spiritual wisdom can't be separated from the fear of the Lord. We can't have it without him. We're not gonna have spiritual wisdom without God. We need to have him in our life. Sometimes people look to God and they just want that, you know, you'll see somebody and and God bless them. It happens. But sometimes God will use a divorce. God will use a death. God will use different circumstances. You'll see people that all of a sudden you hadn't seen them for 10 years and they pop into the house of God and they're, they're kind of going to God as a 911, you know, Lord, help me out of this situation. But then they're faced a couple of weeks later with, are you going to fear God? Are you going to stay in church? You know, God doesn't want to be just a 911. He's there to help us, yes, and all that. But he wants to be preeminent in our life. The Bible says in Colossians 1, 18, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. That's first place. That's priority. That's numero uno if you speak Spanish. Number one, God wants... Preeminence. Maybe you'll say, Well, I haven't lived my life thus far fearing the Lord, making him priority. Maybe you're a young person today and you think I I haven't made God number one in my life. I haven't made him priority in my life. I want to encourage you, young people, make God priority. I want to encourage you, you young married couples, make God priority. How are you gonna make him priority? Get in the Word of God, pray, stay, stay in church. Come what may, Wednesday night comes, and y'all are here, and I'm preaching to the choir, but Wednesday night comes, and boy, you got off work at 5.30, you're rushed home. Before you know it, you're staring at 6.30, you're tired, you're faced with a decision. Am I gonna come to church? Get to church, get to church. That could be the service where our pastor stands up and thunders something out, and that hits you right where, where, where you need to be hit, maybe hits you right in the heart, and you walk out thinking, boy, I needed that. What would have happened if you stayed home? We need to be faithful to the house of God. Start now. Young people, make Jesus the center of your life. Make him the center of your dating activities. Make him the center of the the choice of your friends. Make him the center of where you go, what you say, what you think. Why? Because the Bible says, hey, we all need knowledge. So we see the need for wisdom. We need it. We're not gonna just go and just decide to read our Bible. I guarantee you, if you set out to read your Bible you're going to wake up some mornings tired. You're going to wake up some mornings late. You're going to maybe, maybe you're going to get ready to go to sleep at night, and you think, I haven't read my Bible. I need to do it. If you feel that strong need and you know the desire is there, you're going to get to the Bible. You're going to get to the Word of God. We all do what we set out and what we want to do. You know, sometimes we think, well, I just don't have time. You make time for what's important in your life. We all do that you know, the need for wisdom, the foundation for wisdom, and then we see the rejection of wisdom. Some people decide, hey, I'm not going to live in this wisdom part. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. I want to challenge you. Let's, let's be people of the book. Let's get instruction. Let's get that knowledge, but let's live in wisdom. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. I hope that might be a little bit of a challenge.